Thanks, Jackie. I don't think anybody got to hear that, but that's okay. Thank you. <laughs> I want to thank um, Jackie for coming and playing with us this morning, for Fred coming and running the slides so I don't get lost. Thanks, Fred, for doing that. And for Stacy um, for her gift of coming in and, and uh, running the video and getting everything set up so that we can do this. What a blessing it is to be with you today, my friends. And we pray that uh, you're staying healthy and staying closed in, staying socially separated right now, I guess, it is cold. Do you know what today is in the National Day? It's National Day Goof-Off Day. Can you, can you imagine? I'm telling you, Goof-Off Day. I said that to the guys just a minute ago, and then I said, and on top of that, it's West Virginia Recognition Day. I don't know if they're two are correlated or not, but it's strange. But it's also, today is also the fourth Sunday in Lent. And um, we're glad to be here to worship with you this morning, this way. And we pray that you have a blessed time in this time. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for this time that we can come and worship you this way. We pray for all those that are watching this video at this time. And we pray that you'd bless it, Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged our souls would be healed and that our our lives would uh, have some kind of normalcy because we are worshiping you. Be with us this day is our prayer and help us to do all we can to be a reflection of your love. We pray this in your son's name today. Amen. You know, if you have any concerns that you want to do, we're going to go right into our prayer time right now. But if you have any concerns that you'd like to... Uh, be shed uh, with everybody, shared with everybody, um, just put it in the comments on the Facebook, and um, we'll do that together. Um, I have a bunch of good joys, and two of them revolve around Vic and, and, um, and um, Ruth Long, um, Long. Vic is going to be, did you guys hear this? Vic is going to be inducted into the 4-H Hall of Fame this, this year down in, uh, in the State Hall of Fame. I, I think there's only three every year nominated and put in there. And here Vic is going to do that. You, and you know that's near and dear to his heart, isn't it? He's lived and, and breathed with, uh, along with his uh, wife Ruth, um, um, the fair and everything that goes on there with 4-H. So praise God for that. Um, and then Vic and Ruth's anniversary is... Um, um, April the 1st, 65 years they've been together. So I think what we ought to do is, you know, um, inundate them with cards. Let's send them, send them, don't send them one card, send them a couple cards. And they'll say, look, we already got a card from this person. Let's go ahead and send two of them. You know, wouldn't that be great? That'd be cool. Um, and just celebrate their time together. You know, they love this church. They love you so much. And uh, we should send them and tell them thanks um, for all that they do and celebrate with them. Um, Heather had surgery a week or so ago, on, and she made it through surgery and did really well. She's recovering, she said, and doing good. I know, all right, here's some good news if you haven't heard it. Jessica Cannon, remember Jessica? You guys all remember Jessica, I probably. Um, she's got engaged on her birthday. So keep her, and I don't know her fiancé's na- name. You know it, Stacy. Well, we don't know his name, but keep, uh, keep him in your prayers, too. And then I would imagine you'd want to keep her sister and Mark and Robin in your prayers. Great, great joy. Isn't that a great joy? Great thing. 
So pray for them. Keep them in your hearts. And then, does um, any concerns come in, Stacy? Not yet, okay. Okay, am I doing all right? Okay. Several families are struggling. That will go into our, our concerns for the day. Of course, we need to always keep um, uh, Terry and, and Jeff in our prayers and the three kids and, and, um, and Emily and her husband Josh, or her ex-husband Josh. Keep them in your prayers. But then we also have some other families that are struggling. Um, one of the places Satan seems to be attacking today is in the families. Roger Lee's back is hurting, so keep him in your prayers. All those who have lost loved ones, we need to keep in our prayers. And a friend of ours, Julie, uh, lost her son. Imagine losing a son. So keep, uh, keep Julie and the family in your prayers and others. We need to keep Mike and his family in our prayers. Another family concern. All those are just devastating family concerns. And then another family that we need to keep in our, our hearts is David and Karen. Keep them in your prayers. And also their son Dale, too. Keep him there. Um, COVID-19. We need to keep that whole corona, coronavirus in our prayers and and especially the medical world as they try to find that cure for it, that pill that will take care of it, you know, just crazy thoughts. We need to keep that in our prayers and, and all the doctors and nurses that are taking care of all these um, folks. Uh, we need to keep Italy in our prayers. Can you imagine all the people that they're losing every day? And um, pray for New York. I, and they're the epicenter right now, it seems like, and... and um, people around the world, California, all over. We need to keep this in our prayers and pray that um, it would uh, go quickly as it came in so quick. Of course, we need to keep our president and his family in your prayers. Um, keep them and all the government leaders. And um, we never want to not pray for our military. We need to keep those that are protecting our freedom in our prayers every day. And then all the unspoken prayers. All the unspoken prayers uh, we need to keep in our prayers. People that just have things on their heart that's between them and God. Let's keep them there and keep them lifted up. <clears throat> things that, you know, we just don't share with anybody. The things that are near and dear to our heart. Let's keep them right at the cross where they belong, okay? Nothing. Speak up. Okay. Nothing going on then. Um, on, on the comment part of our, our video. So we'll just go, let's go to the prayer time. Um, go to the cross with me. If you're sitting at home with your spouse or your friend, uh, somebody that you're close to, why don't you grab their hand and say, let's pray together. So join us here as we pray and ask God to touch these things. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you right now into your presence and ask you to hear the cries of your people, the cries of the world, actually, the cries of this world that is struggling in the midst of being separated, trying to become one in that separation, one in mind and one in heart and one in thought so that we can uh, do whatever it is it takes for us to be a part of the healing 
of this virus that's going around. We pray your grace in the midst of everything, Lord, and ask that you would be with those families that have lost loved ones. So we thank you for your your gift of healing in the midst of of all this pain that's going on in, in our lives today. We're glad to know that no matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on, that you're here with us. You have not forsaken us. You have promised you'd never leave us. So help us to claim that promise today. Be with us uh, as we come before you with these concerns that are on our hearts, especially those that are family-oriented. We, we just don't pray for our families enough these days. And Lord God, families are being destroyed We don't have to tell you. Destroyed over and over and over. Every day another family is in crisis. So we pray that you'd put a hedge of protection around all the families that we're thinking of here. That somehow, someway, we would sense your healing grace in the midst of it. We pray for our nation. We come before you this morning humbled on our knees. being that people that would humble themselves and seek your face. We are there today, Lord God. And we pray you'd hear the cry. Be with us. Be with our president and his family. Be with all of our leaders um, politically and governmentally. Be be especially today, Lord, we pray, with all those that are bringing healing, those that are taking care of the the sick, not only just with this coronavirus, but but, uh, doing the emergency work. Uh, Be with those doctors in in the nursing homes around the world today. We pray your blessing would be with them. We pray you'd be with all those that that are serving us, the EMTs, the fire departments, the policemen, our military, Lord God, we pray your blessing upon them. We pray your grace would be with them in a way we can't even begin to imagine or think. Keep them safe, Lord, is our prayer. Keep them safe. As we come praying for all these things that are up front, right in front of us, we pray that you would also be, Lord God, with those things that are just on our hearts, those things that... um, We can't seem to find healing in. Help us to bring them to you and lay them at the foot of the cross and keep them there. And ask you to let your blood flow over them and heal them in our lives. Bring us healing in those things, Lord, that keep us from having that relationship that you would want with us. We have a lot of things on our heart today, Lord, and we lift them up to you. We pray for your church, and we pray for the church here in LaGrange. We pray that you'd keep us faithful to it, keep us um, still doing ministry in the midst of everything. We thank you for the opportunity to serve the young children this week, uh, the young people that are without food, and we thank you for all those that came and and, uh, helped that go about. So we're still in ministry. We're still doing the things you want us to do. Help us to, to see you in the midst of this in our lives. 
God, we just thank you today. Most of all, we thank you in this Lenten season for the passion of your Son who came to do nothing more than die on the cross for our sins. We pray these things in his holy and precious name. We pray them because he's the one that taught us that great prayer of faith. Pray with me, William. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. How's my sound? Better? Okay. Jackie's going to play a song for us called Remembering. Thank you. part of the reason we don't eat too much uh, stuff like that. But there's one word that I've noticed as uh, I've started paying attention to the ingredients. There's this, this word that says it's a substitute. Substitute. Have you ever seen that on a product? You know, it, it's a substitute for something that's supposed to be there. And the worst one, I think, for me is the, when it says substitute chocolate. I'm telling you, what the heck is that? The word is is um, carob. Is that it? Carob, C A R O B. Carob. Now I'm going to tell you something. That's not chocolate in any universe. 
And if you see that on some package, don't buy it because it means there's no taste, no flavor, no sugar, no chocolate. I'm telling you. The last ice cream I had was years ago in a box, and it came and it said, no, no calories, no sugar added, nothing, no taste. And I said to Phyllis Ann, I said to Phyllis Ann, if I'm going to die, let me die on something I like, not this garbage. Well, I want to tell you what I did. This week, I've, I didn't think I would ever do it, but this week, my granddaughter and I went to Burger King together to get some lunch for all of us, and I ordered an impossible hamburger. I don't care. Don't believe the lie, my friends. That was not a hamburger. I don't care what anybody says. It wasn't a hamburger. There is no such thing as substitute beef. I mean, it was good. Don't get me wrong. The vegetable part of it was all good. But the word should be something different than impossible. I guess, no, I guess that's a good word, impossible. It's not. You know, as far as I'm concerned, when you eat a a hamburger, it's made out of two things, ham and burger. Huh? You know? I'm telling you. Well, when we think about substitute, we think about a lot of things around here, especially in in this uh, church community. There's so many teachers. So when you mention the word substitute, what does a teacher think? You know, substitute teacher. And, and, uh, and uh, substitute teachers are the Rodney Dangerfield, aren't they, of, um, of teachers. They get no respect, especially from a lot of the students, you know. But some of the students like them. But, but I want to tell you, for the principal, they're right up there next to angels. Because every time some teacher calls in and can't make it to school, he has a list of substitutes that come. So he's, uh, he's happy uh, because they come and save his life, save his, his whole school system that day and teach the kids. And a lot of the kids, um, um, when we think about it, love um, uh, substitute teachers because they come in all fired up, ready to do something, and uh, maybe not quite as boring as the teachers they've had for several years. Uh, we don't like substitutes. I remember the kids one time, some senior high kids taking me to an ACDC concert. Have you ever been to one of those? No, I'm telling you, don't go. It was terrible. But I had to go because I was taking them to all these Christian concerts so that they wanted me to go and see one of their concerts. Well, wouldn't it be bad if you went to see ACDC and you get up and say, ADC isn't, ACDC isn't here, but we have a substitute, DCAC. And they came out and sang and wasn't anything like ACDC. It wouldn't be fun, would it? You'd want your money back. But we have to remember, sometimes substitutes are better than the original, but very seldom. (laughs) So we're in this series um, during Lent, talking about the greatest words from the cross, the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross of Calvary. Jesus was on that cross, you know, the Bible tells us, for some six hours, from 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And in those first three hours when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he made those first three statements that we've looked at already. We've covered them, haven't we? We've covered the word of forgiveness. And Jesus looks from the cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Then a couple of weeks ago, we covered that word of assurance. When Jesus looks at that thief on the cross, his heart has been changed, and ask him to remember him. And Jesus says, I hear your plea today. You'll be with me in paradise. And then last week, we talked about that word of love that Jesus gave to all of families, but mostly to his mother, Mary, and to his friend, John. And how he gave to them that uh, continued love from the cross of being family and being who they should be even though he was gone. That's all in the first three hours. At noon, everything changed. At noon, everything changed. If you listen to it, Jesus is on the cross for these six hours, but three hours are anguishing, and then the next three hours are even worse. But at noon, everything turns dark. And, and, it, and it's just strange, because you know and I know from noon to three is the brightest point of the day, actually, and the hottest point. But when Jesus is there hanging on the cross for those first three hours, everything changes. I don't know how God did it. doesn't matter. could have been a cloud. could have been a, a storm picked up, because you know later on, There's a big earthquake and a storm tears the curtain and opens up the altar to all of mankind. We don't know, but we know that it went dark. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew chapter 27. And it's in verse 45 and 46. It goes like this. At noon, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. I like that translation. It says darkness. It's not just clouded over. It's dark. Darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And then about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And I like the, the Greek word there is, is he didn't just yell. He didn't yell. It was, it was a scream, and it wasn't a scream of, of um, fear or... or, or um, whatever we would want it to be to scare us, but it was a scream from his heart. It came from his heart, not his lungs, not his head. It came from his heart, and he yelled out, Eli, Eli, Laba, Sabachthani, which literally means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My friends, I want you to know, this is the word of God for all people. And we all say at home, thanks be to God. Let's pray again. As we begin to get into his word, let's pray and ask him to open our hearts. Open our ears, Holy Father. To hear your word and to know your voice. Speak to our hearts. Strengthen us in our wills. That we may serve you. Not only today, but always. And I always pray, Lord God, that your servant's words would be nothing more than your words. Bless us this day in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this is the fourth word from the cross. God, God does nothing more than make it dark in the middle of the day. 
Well, let me let me let me share with you. Um, Shatas is the word. Shatas, and it actually means um, when we go to Ripman, for example, when we go to Ripman, especially on an early morning and it's foggy out, you know, and the dew is all around, it's misty. When we go there, when we go there and see what's going on, um, it's down in the valley, so we can see where we're at, but you can't make out what's going on. That's what this is talking about. It was an obscurity. The cross was there, but God couldn't see it. And many people around that hill probably couldn't see it unless you were right up close to it. I think God is obscuring what's happening on the cross. It's like a curtain, I guess we would say, that shields it from his eyes. I think God is saying it's so bad, what's going on in the cross, especially this third hour, the sixth hour, I mean. It's so bad that the evil is so terrible, it's hard to watch. And God says, I'm just going to darken it from my eyes so it's not as clear. Jesus is crucified him, crucifying himself for the, uh, for the sins of the whole world. And it's such an ugly, horrible sight that God can't look on it. The fourth thing that Jesus says from the cross is this, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. <laughs> the most shocking word that I think Jesus might say on the cross. We can understand. You and I can understand, Father, forgive them. We can understand. <laughs> we can understand you'll be with me today in paradise. That's our, all of our prayers. We can understand what it means to really, truly and know that because of God's love, we can have a family that's beyond our conception even. But when he says to God, why? Of all people, have you forsaken me? He's literally saying, I'm, I'm abandoned. He's saying, God, you even have deserted me. Now, some of us, many of us, I'm probably sure, know the pain that happens, know the sting that happens when we are abandoned. Nothing hurts more than being rejected by somebody, especially somebody that you love. We know how bad that hurts. Some of us growing up were rejected by our peers, you know, by our family, perhaps even our parents. And then as adults, it doesn't get any better. We're rejected by our spouses, by our children, by our family, by a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you know, and the world is over. <laughs> It happens, doesn't it? We've been abandoned by, by our family, by people at work. You know, you give your whole life to, to a job, and then all, one day they say, see you later, and don't even give you a hug goodbye. Just get out of here, you know? And the worst of all, I think, is sometimes people tell me how they've been abandoned by the church. <clears throat> and if you feel that way here, we're sorry. And we want you to know that we haven't abandoned you. No matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, you are not abandoned on this end. It happens every, every day. I remember 
I remember a long time ago, uh, uh, there was an article on the 6 o'clock news that a young man went into Walmart with a child and put that child in the cart, in the shopping cart, and then took the shopping cart right into the middle aisle of, of Walmart, stopped and left the, left the cart there with the child in it, walked out, and never came back. That child will live with that the rest of her life, for the rest of his life, whoever it was. In Jesus' crucifixion, it's amazing if we look at it and how progressively it got worse and worse of this abandonment. I mean, on, on, on the Passover meal, Judas abandoned him. And then, even in the agony of the time in the garden, the disciples, his three friends, kept abandoning him, going to sleep. And then when they get to the cross at Golgotha, everybody's going except the four Marys and John. And those disciples are gone, abandoned Jesus because they were worried about their own skin. And then of all things, now on the cross of Calvary, he looks up and he says, my God, in case you didn't hear me, my God, why in the world have you forsaken me too? It's an interesting thought here. Interesting thought that came to me. This is the only time that Jesus refers to God as my God. Any other time that you see Jesus talking about God, he's always talking about his Father. Always it's Father, Father. This is the only time in the Bible where he doesn't call him Father. Where he doesn't say, hey, Dad, bless this. Hey, Dad, you know I'm doing this because I want to glorify you. I'm not doing a show thing here or raising Lazarus from the dead. I want, Dad, I want you to know I want to do nothing but glorify you. He doesn't do it here. He says, my God. Because I think at this point, the relationship is broken between a father and his son. So if you don't grab a hold of anything today, we need to understand the price that Jesus paid for you and I, for the world, to have a way to get to heaven. Our salvation is always free. We need to know that. But it certainly wasn't inexpensive. It cost. It cost. Can you imagine? It cost Jesus his relationship with his dad. Jesus had never known what it meant not to be in a relationship with him. Not to have that fellowship. You and I have not that problem. We know what it feels like not to be in fellowship with God, don't we? Sometimes we think we're so far away from God, we have moved, he hasn't, but we think we're millions of miles away from God. And we even wonder sometimes if he hears us. We feel that coldness, don't we? Don't understand why. Jesus had never known that. Jesus had never known that. 
And at that moment, that's why he screams out from his heart, Dad! No, he doesn't say Dad, does he? He says, My God, my God, why have you too forsaken me? So what's going on in this fourth word? Let's start filling in the blanks. If you go to what happened, the question is, what happened at the, at cross, uh, the cross of Calvary? Well, I want to tell you what happened. You write this down. This is the blank to fill in. Jesus became my substitute. That's what happened at the cross. Now, think about that. Jesus became my substitute, but he also became the substitute for the person that I don't like that much. Uh-oh. He came to be the substitute for the person you love the best. He came to be the substitute, really, for everybody. Everybody. He comes and says to us, literally, I'll take your punishment for all that you have done. And for all that you're ever going to do, I will take your place. Can you imagine that? Jesus on the cross died for sins you and I haven't committed yet? That's an unbelievable thought that he would be that willing not to take just the sins we already committed, but even the sins to come. And not only my sins and your sins, but the sins of the whole world. The truth of the reality is that somebody has to pay for these sins that we've done. It's either you or someone else. I tried to get my brother to take them, but he wouldn't. I told him it was his fault. But he wouldn't believe me. I'm glad he didn't. Somebody has to pay for him. You have to look at it in 1 John. You know, there's three little books on the back of the Bible. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Revelation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Oh, my, that's the grace of God. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We don't talk about atoning so much anymore. It's one of those words that has gone by the wayside, I think. We don't talk about it. We don't hear much about it anymore. But atonement literally means nothing more than payment for damages done. Payment for damages done. And that means that a um, uh, simple illustration is, is uh, if you wreck your car, you've got to take it to a, um, uh, one of those people that fixes cars and get it fixed. And you have to pay for that. You have to pay for that. That's called atonement. Covering, paying for damages done. And what atonement literally does whenever we talk about payment for things that are done, it satisfies justice. Satisfies the law. It satisfies... We wouldn't even want to begin to live in a world that doesn't have this kind of thought of atonement. Satisfying justice. Hitler would get away with killing six million people. It'd be okay. It's all right. But that's not all right. Justice demands that when crimes, sins, are committed, someone has to pay for it. Hmm. Jesus became your and my atoning sacrifice. It's really in chapter 2, or the second uh, book of Corinthians, chapter 5, um, goes like this. God took the sinless Christ, You remember the sinless Christ, the one the thief on the cross said, he has committed no sin, took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Not just the ones we've committed, but the ones we're going to commit. And now here's the greatest word in the... 
the greatest word in the world happens right here. Then in exchange, let me read it to you again. God took the sinless Jesus and poured into him all of our sins. All of our sins are gone. And then in exchange, are you ready? Here's the great news. He poured God's goodness back into our lives where that sin was. You know the thing we've been trying to satisfy all of our lives? Drugs, alcohol, and sex, wild music, wild parties, whatever it may be, that thing that's trying to make us feel better, God poured that back into us. When we accept Jesus Christ, he poured back into us all of his grace and his love and his mercy, and Jesus became our substitute. My God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, my. Well, let's look at, let's look at this. What does this word teach us? Let me, I think, give you three things. First of all, the power of it is that God is holy. We need to grab a hold of that, if nothing else. Revelation 4, 8 talks about a threefold reminder. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. The one who had existed in the past, the one that exists right now, and the one that's going to exist, God we learn is holy. Now, when we say that, we have to understand what that means. It means he's perfect. He's never done anything wrong. I, I had a professor Malone one time stand up in front of, of uh, all the people that were in worship one Monday morning. We had to go to worship on Monday and then either Wednesday or Friday. Twice a week you had to go to worship. And there was hundreds of people there. He got up and said to everybody one Sunday, or one Monday, he got up and said to everybody that he believed his son had never done anything wrong. Whew. Can you imagine? He believed that in his heart when he said it, but the moment he said it, he knew that wasn't true. And he said, oh, I said that wrong, didn't I? If that's true, then he doesn't need Jesus on the cross. And we all know that all of us do. Except for Jesus, because God is 100%, 100% perfect, 100% pure, 100% righteous, 100% holy. And because it got dark is that reason, because he can't be around that imperfection, that unholiness that we have, that evil and that sin. He can't steal, stand to be around it. And that means we've got a problem. If he can't stand to be around it, guess what? I'm in trouble because I'm not perfect. I've tried it a couple of times, and I always fell short. I'm going to keep trying, but I'm always going to fall, fall short. But he hasn't. God in his perfectness said a long time ago, Jesus, we're going to have to do something so these people will have a way because there's none righteous, no, not one. And so in their conversation, I think they were talking about it, and the holiness comes about in the simple fact that Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll go and die for him when you think the time is right. And at that moment, we hear it on the cross of Calvary, Jesus crying out. He's taken on the sins. Probably realizing this time is going to come, but just can't believe. Eli, he he screams out, Eli, he screams out. Lama, Lama, Sabak, Sinai, 
Why have you forgot, forsaken me in this moment? God is holy, so holy that he even has to separate himself from his son. That relationship is broken. God had to look away. Let me give you another word. You think God is holy? If God is holy, then we have to understand this happens automatically. Sin is ugly. Sin is ugly. I hope you write this down. Sin is ugly. You know why we need to write it down and we need to remember it? It's because we think sin isn't ugly. Matter of fact, we don't even talk about sin anymore. Sin is not sin anymore. It's mistakes. It's something I didn't mean to do. And literally, every, almost every, I can't say, I've got to be careful. You know, I, 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 I put too many things in one, one category. But many of the TV shows on, uh, that we watch, many of the movies that we watch, literally are nothing more than making fun of sin. I think it's the, one of the things the principalities and powers of this world does is to make us sure, and without even thinking about it, that it's okay to sin. It's funny. It's not a problem. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said, you know, that uh, the first time we do something bad, it's not so bad. It's terrible, I mean. But the fifth time, 15th time we do it, it's not quite as bad. That's what, he's go- what is going in here. We take this ugliness of sin and say it doesn't mean anything anymore. I almost walked away. Sorry. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It, do you remember the movie Lost? Do you remember that, Fred? It was a movie about the plane that wrecked. Okay, and they were on the island. I don't know if you watched that movie close or not, you have, that series, but every one of those people died two or three times doing different things on that island. They kept coming back to life. I think that's probably part of the problem that we have with so many murders today. These young kids think that, oh, I'll see them next week. I can shoot them today, but they'll be back. I said to Phyllis Ann, it was in the third or fourth season of Lost, I said, if that guy can, there was a guy that was drowned out in the, in the ocean in this thing underneath the ocean, and, and it was, there was, he was dead. And I said to Phyllis Ann, I said, if they bring that guy back to life, I'm not watching that show again. Doggone it, two weeks later, guess who was there? He showed back up on the same series. Now, you know what that did? I didn't get to see the last season. I don't know what happened. I'm t- it bothers me. I should know what, you know. But I thought that I will, not, I will not let them take something so dramatic, so terrible, and make light of it. And that's what we do. They never show, well, see, I did it again. They seldom show the consequences of sin, especially in family relationships. Sin is ugly, my friends, and it does some things to us. Let me tell you what, I, I have this ABC there for you. Listen, let me give you these three things just real quick. Sin alienates us. It alienates me from God. We have to know that. Sin does that. Your evil, Isaiah says, has separated you from God, and your sins have cursed, caused him, not cursed, has caused him to turn away from you, so he does not hear. When our sin, when our life is full of sin, uh, we scream out to God, and he says, well, that, you know, that, I, I don't know who that is, because I don't know him. I'm, I'm, I'm foolish, and I, I, I visualize a lot of things, and 
And as Charlie would say, I'm a, I, I, I'm a visual person. But I've, I visual like this. At 3 o'clock this morning, I woke up, was praying for all of you, was praying for this time right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that when I woke up at 3 o'clock, before I even said a word, Jesus said, okay, Dad, get ready. He's coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's coming. You better, get, you better get ready. It's probably about the same thing, too. And sure enough, I know it was. Because my heart's right here with you, with this community, with this world. And, and, uh, and, and the reason that happens is because we have a relationship that's not alienated because of sin. Now, do I commit sin? Yes, I do. And I ask for forgiveness right away because I want God to listen to me. Psalm 27, 4, you know my psalm? The one thing I, I desire more than anything else in this world, the one thing I want more than anything else in this world is to sit at your feet and to behold your beauty and to hear you speak to me. Praise God. It alienates us. People are always saying, I feel so disconnected from family and friends. Well, the reason of it is is because we've done something wrong and we're holding it against them. And we separate ourselves from God and people. And literally, my friends, when we talk about hell, that's all hell is, is separation from God. Not just for a couple of days, but for eternity. Okay, so sin alienates me from God. Let me give you B. Sin distresses me. It distresses me. And the problem of it is that we need to understand it distresses us because I'm, I don't know how to say this right, but I don't really break God's laws. Yes, I do. But what this distress comes from is because God's laws break me. You get that? It's in uh, Psalm 38, verse, uh, verse 4. David says, you can hear David crying out too, My guilt has over- overwhelmed me like a burden that's way too heavy to bear. And we can't bear it. It, it distresses us. And I honestly believe that this just distress causes probably more than 50% of the people that are in the hospital today. Crazy thought, isn't it? So sin alienates me, it distresses me, and then see, it condemns me. When we violate God's law, it's like a pinball machine. When we get too excited and start shaking that thing around, what happens? Tilt, tilt, tilt. We, we tilt. When we sin, it, the, con, the, the condemning is the, a tilting in our lives. It's, it's in um, Romans 6. 23, listen to this. The wages of sin is death. That's the tilt. But God always doesn't leave us hanging there because of his love. If you listen to that word, the wages of sin in verse 6, 23 of Rome is death. But, he gives us a but, praise God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what's happening on the cross. Atonement substitution. Many people think we have a problem in life. You know, if I was a little bit taller, if I just didn't hold so much gravity, if I was a little bit more intelligent, if I had a better job, those aren't the problems. You know, if my finances were better, those are not the problems. Those are the problems that are on the surface. The underlying surface problem, problem is, is that sin condemns us. And we have to live with that if we don't do something about it. Okay, God is holy, sin is ugly. Let me give you the third thing that we learn. 
that salvation is costly. Salvation is costly, my friends. I, I take that back. It's free, isn't it? See that stupid commercial on, on TV today, free? And they're giving the direction, free, free. Oh, jeez. That's what salvation is. It's free. We've got it. It's ours. We don't have to have it to do anything to get it. We can get a ticket to heaven. It's called Jesus Christ on Calvary. We have been forgiven our sins. But, my friends, it's not free. It costs Jesus and it costs God the relationship. He was born by this virgin, lived that perfect life simply to die on the cross so that you and I could get a free ticket to heaven. My goodness. The trouble with us in the 21st century, and it's getting worse and worse all the time, even in my years in the 60s and 70s, in those hippie years, the statement was, gosh, nobody's going to heaven. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Everybody's fine. Well, then in my head, in my eyes, I, I picture Jesus saying, wait a minute. Wait a stinking minute. If everybody's okay, what am I doing up here? <laughs> Amen? What am I doing up here? Why am I dying? Why have I given up my relationship with, with my dad if everybody's okay? And we need to understand that we're not okay. Romans 3, verse 25 said, God sent his son, Jesus, to take the punishment for our sins and to do that simply to satisfy God's anger. We are made right when, with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. Then we can say we're okay. Amen? Then we can say we're okay. Are you with me, family, at home? Then we can say okay because we have a substitute who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's also in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. See, the law, I don't break the law, the law breaks me. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. He's the judge. He's the attorney. He's the bailiff. He's paying the fine. He's serving the time for you and for me. Well, we learn from this text that God is holy, sin is ugly, and salvation is costly. With all that in mind, what should our response be? Let me give you four things. You got another half hour? Everybody's saying, oh, wait, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> what should my response be? Real quick, I'll give you four things. The first thing that our response should be is we should turn from sin and trust Jesus to save us. I can't imagine, you know, somebody dying and being so hard-hearted that they would refuse a free thing. I know if we hear something that's free, it's too good to true, be true, but this is free. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 tells us we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. That's when we're made right. 
and we can all be saved in the same way. Not the, oh, I know there's all kinds of ways to get to God, but the one way that matters is to trust Jesus when he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. No matter what we've done, doesn't matter, we can be saved. Hebrews talks about it too. But let me give you the second thing. What we should do is we should live in a state of gratitude. Boy, and that's what we do here. When we're all together on Sunday morning, when we're all together at the fish fry the other night, did anybody go to the fish fry? You guys, go, anybody go get fish? I'm telling you, it was really good. It was great. It was, I'm telling you, it was fantastic. I couldn't do anything but tell the, every person I met there, I met three people, four people, and I told them thanks for everything that they were doing. I tell you, that's a word that we have messed up. I always say to people, do you hear this? I say to people, I said, I wish I could tell you thanks a little bit more. I don't tell you thanks enough. And I, I, don't, I don't tell you, th- like, like, like Fred, I don't tell Fred thanks the way that my heart feels thanks. Do you, do you know what I mean? I don't tell Stacy thanks the way that I really want to. Or, uh, Jackie, I just, I'm just in love with you to no end. And I can't tell you thanks to, it's just hard to get that word out of what I'm really thankful for. And most of us forget that word. We don't tell people thanks. We want to criticize. We want to say, oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. Instead of saying, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing, I am telling you. Let me give you the third one because I get going crazy here, don't I? When tempted, we need to remember that my sin costs Jesus. When we're tempted... And we're going to be tempted, aren't we? If we're not believing that in our life, we're, we're, we're foolish. Jesus said, if you think you have problems now, believe in me. And then we'll, you'll have even more. Remembering, remembering, let me tell you God's story here in my life. Remembering what Jesus has done is what keeps me clean these past 48 years. Because... Uh, I tell you, the nine years of being a drug addict still lingers on today. And every day, day by day, every day, is a conquest that you have to get over. And the reason I get over it, I believe, is because I remember what Jesus did. I'm, I'm clean today because of you, church family. It would be the worst thing in the world, I think, for me to go home and smoke a joint, uh, do some, any kind of LSD, uh, and worst of all, cocaine or heroin or hash. It would be terrible for me to go home and do that. I would have let you down to no end. I just, I wouldn't, I probably would kill myself. I'm clean today because of four kids and one grandchild. This is God's story. I'm clean because of them. I've, I've, I, I, I have done everything I could to tell Sean and Shannon, now Steve and Sarah, and this little girl, I'll probably pound it into her, don't do drugs, don't do alcohol, don't do these things that everybody else is doing, don't do it. I'm clean because it would be a slap in the face to them for me to tell them not to do it. 
and then continue to do it. I'm clean today because of Phyllis Ann. That would be a slap in the face for her. She invested 48 years of her life <laughs> in this guy, you know. And for me to do, even take a, uh, be around somebody that's smoking, that would be a slap in the face to her. I'm clean today because of Jesus Christ. There's no way in this world I can see me doing that because I would be saying to him, the cross didn't mean that much. Your gift. I'm clean today because of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what keeps me clean, nothing else. Let me give you the last thing. The last thing we need to do in response to all that Jesus has done for us is tell others the good news. Tell others the good news. Every one of us knows someone that needs Jesus Christ. And we need to become more than just friends with them. We need to become compassionate friends who want to share God's grace. God's grace. And the simple fact in 2 Peter chapter chapter 3, it goes like this. God is patient for each one of us. He doesn't want us, he doesn't want to destroy anyone. Anyone. Gosh, I could be anybody, my friend. But he wants all people. But he wants all people. That means whoever you are, Buddhist, Christian, Presbyterian, a Catholic. He wants us all. If you're nobody, <laughs> he wants us all to have the opportunity to turn, to turn to him and have a change in our life. And that happens, I think, my friends, because of you and I. Because of you and I, that happens. And if we have to, we ought to speak to him. Amen? People know, people know, everybody knows that Jesus died in this time. They know about Christmas. They know about Easter. They know about uh, uh, B.C. and A.D. They know about that, that change in time. But they don't know the person behind it. And it's our motivation in everything that we do as individuals, as individuals and as a congregation here, everything that we do is to do nothing more than help people find Jesus Christ. That's why we do all these outreaches. That's why we do all these Bible studies, all these ministries that we do. What was the, what was the group you helped yesterday? Kids? Wildcat snack packs. Did you all hear, hear that? Wildcat snap, snack packs. The response to the, in this community is just overwhelming to that. Overwhelming. You should have seen, I hope you saw the video with all the food they um, distributed Friday it was. We're going to keep doing that, friends. There's going to be more opportunities coming our way. We're going to continue to do all these things that God wants us to do so that others will find Jesus Christ. That's why we do these things. That's why this building is open. That's why all these churches, the Baptist church over here, the Presbyterian church, the Church of Christ, the Church of God, we're all here doing the same thing, trying to be a lighthouse in this community. And let people know that God loves them. God loves them and cares for them. Oh my. I could go on forever here about this whole simple thing. The people need to hear the good news. 
and they need to hear it from people they trust. Well, my friends, if you didn't hear it, Jesus was separated on the cross to become our substitute. Jesus was left alone so you and I could be lifted up. Jesus was humiliated so that we could be liberated. He was abandoned so we could be adopted. He was rejected so we could be redeemed. He was reviled so that you and I could be reconciled. That's how much Jesus, that's how much God, that's how much the Spirit loves us. He was forsaken so that you and I could be forgiven. Amen? Let's pray together. Holy Father, I'm, I'm humbled at what you spoke to us today. I'm humbled at what we've learned about who you are in our lives. And we thank you today and in this season of passion that you sent your Son to die for me even when I didn't know about it. When I was alienated, when I was (laughs) distressed, when I was condemned by my own words and my own actions, you, you loved me enough that while I was yet in my sin, you died for me. I'm thankful today that you are that God that we serve that is holy and pure and right. We're thanks so much for your grace that is so powerful. We thank you for Jesus Christ for sacrificing his life just for me and just for us that believe it. And today again I'm reminded to say to you I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my coldness. I'm sorry for my just not caring. I'm sorry for pretending that I was God, not you. So today, help me take these steps that would bring gratitude. I want to turn from my being the manager of my life and let you be the manager. I want to turn from my sin, whatever it may be, and trust in you even more. Today, I humbly ask you to forgive me and keep me in your family. Today, help me to live my life a life of gratitude for all that you have done for me. And today, I I guess, help me to especially remember every time I think about sin, what it really costs you if I do it. And today, Lord, help me to commit, to recommit my heart to sharing your love with everyone you send my way. God, we just pray these things. Not from our head, not because we're supposed to say it, but because we want to say it from our heart. And believe and trust you will indeed do what you promised. And remember us as we come to your home.
God, we pray these things today in your Son's holy and precious name. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. And all of God's children said, Amen. Wow. Golly, just a little over an hour. Not too bad. Not too bad.